Welcome to another episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Earth Team. My name is Nelson Fernandez, and today we're joined by John Bowser. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing great, Nelson. Thanks for having me on the show. Always. Um, so to get today's episode kicked off, would you like to tell the audience a bit about yourself and what they have to look forward to in this episode? I am the CEO of Saluna Computing. We are working to unlock the potential of renewable energy using computing as a catalyst. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur for about 20 plus years, and I'm excited to be at the helm of this company because it has such a wide reaching um, potential as it relates to climate change and increasing the amount of renewable energy in the world. For the listeners on the show, um, you should continue listening because you're going to hear about innovative ways in which we can solve renewable energy's biggest problem. What most people don't know is about 30% of the power from big green plants all around the world never actually make it to the grid. And this creates a huge deterrent to the expansion of renewables. And uh, we've come up with a novel approach using the infinite potential of computing to solve that problem. That sounds incredible. And I know I'm personally excited to hear about your story and about Luna. I'm a big fan of renewable energy, especially with the different projects we had here at the Green Roof team. Cool. Cool. So getting today, today's episode kicked off, would you like to go a bit more about yourself, who you are, what you like to do, where you're from? Sure. I'm originally from uh, the Bahamas, actually. I came to the States when I was about six years old. Um, I grew up in New York City. And uh, for those of you who've perhaps gone to New York City recently. It was nothing like that. I grew up in the rough and tough New York City that appears in, you know, movies like Get Out of New York and stuff like that. Um, and while I was uh, a young student, I found my way to uh, computing about uh, middle school, became really passionate about it, um, got my first uh, uh, personal computer and spent the next uh decade or so just enhancing my experience writing programs, uh, starting small entrepreneurial ventures around my computer, and then eventually making my way to university. I have an undergraduate in computer science and a graduate in computer science. And so I like to say I'm not an energy guy. I actually play one on TV, maybe. <laughs> and um, uh, after I completed my university studies, I started my career at uh, Intel. Uh, helping them to further the expansion of the personal computer industry by writing software uh, as part of a large group there to uh, enhance the capabilities of computing and let people know the powerful capabilities of the new processors that we were putting out every 12 to 18 months, if you will. And uh, that opened my eyes to the potential of not only creating technology to um, service the computing industry, but the potential of computing in general and how it can solve lots of problems, lots of business problems. And I've always had a penchant for entrepreneurship. I left uh, Intel after three years being there, moved back to Boston, uh, started my first software company with uh, my college uh, pals, uh, former undergrad and grad folks. We didn't know what we were doing, but we managed to build a very successful enterprise focused on e-commerce. And um, sold that company. I ended up moving back to the West Coast, to San Francisco, 
continue to build our company inside a very large public company that bought us and grew that uh, many times over. And I learned the uh, advantage of scale and also how you start with a business problem and build solutions uh, around it. And I continued to do that for um, the better part of 20 years. Uh, I formed uh, three other companies and uh, Saluna is is a new venture that I'm working on, I guess you can call it, uh, although we're a public company and a large growing enterprise. To me, it still feels like a venture because we're doing a host of different things that are new for the renewable energy space. And it reminds me of a lot of the things I did in software. So the best way to describe me is I'm passionate about building companies that solve really hard problems, bringing smart people together to do that. And, um, I like to uh, write about my learnings. I have a personal blog where I do that, and it's kind of like a public journal, if you will, writing all about the learnings that I've made over the last 20 years or so as CEO. And one of the things I've found is that uh, the CEO journey is a continually changing one, and it's all about mastering that role. And I figured out that the role is really almost a coaching role where you really trying to give people the best opportunity to be their best so that we can solve challenging problems together. Uh, I'm a dad of two, two little girls. Uh, they're keeping me very busy <laughs> and learning a lot from them as well. Um, uh, married as well. And um, just, you know, excited about what's happening in the world as we are rethinking uh, renewables. And uh, I think like everyone else, looking forward to a post-pandemic world. That is awesome. Are you excited to have an in-person event once again coming soon? Yeah, so I did uh, attend one earlier this year. I went out to Scottsdale for a big um, renewable energy conference. It was the first time they had done it where they combined solar and wind together. And I was floored by the amount of people there. Um, I think they had about 2,500 attendees or something like that. Um, and you can tell there was just, you know, a buzz in the air. Everyone was there, not so much for the conference per se, but just because they knew they would see their friends. <laughs> and I was a newbie and you could just tell there's, there's just lots of hugging and, you know, high-fiving and just people being excited to just be out among other people again. So, uh, so yeah, I'd like to see more of that happening. I, and, and I did experience what I think all of humanity appreciates. And that is that we, we are, you know, a species that really favors or needs uh, uh, personal contact and engagement. And so while the virtual environment has allowed us to stay safe during the pandemic, you know, our core passion is really connecting and collaborating with, with, with other humans. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I feel personally, main point of life is to be able to be connected to one another. And yeah. one thing you said um, towards the end of your introduction was being able to coach others and be able to go farther. And I live by a quote, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah, I, that's a that's a fantastic statement. I appreciate that. Cool. So diving right in. Um, would you like to talk a bit about Saluna's big mission and what big problems you're focused on solving? Absolutely. Um, you know, I was just uh, right before this call um, interviewing someone 
that I wanted to have join the company. And she asked me, so what is, what's the goal for the company? You know, where are you going with it? And, um, what I explained with her was that, uh, if we were successful, then renewable energy would be the dominant power source in the world. Um, we like to say we're, we're on a mission to make renewable energy a superpower, you know, pun intended. And the reason is, um, because we think that's a great tool to helping fight climate change. If our energy consumption shifts to more sustainable sources, you know, we can make that happen. But our journey um, around what we do today, as I described uh, at the beginning, was to help deal with this wasted energy issue, which is a, which is a you know a prevention to sort of the massive expansion. Actually, started out four years ago. We were a renewable energy developer ourselves. And so we were experiencing the problem we solved today ourselves. We were building a very large wind farm in the uh, southern part of Morocco. It was a, it's a project that uh, uh, continues to make its way today. It's a separate company that's doing that now because we broke the companies up, but I'll get to that. And uh, here's the problem. The, the, the location is one of the best locations for wind in the world huge site. So we could generate almost a gigawatt of energy, uh, no grid. So even though you can generate the power, there's no place for the thing to go. So in terms of a, you know, a case, right. We're sort of like the, the extreme case where you have lots of energy generation, no place to go. Right. So energy is stranded. So what we came up with was the idea. And I actually wasn't with the company. Um, I was asked to come and run the company after the, the sort of idea was conceived, which was to, what if we built a data center facility there that was powered by that energy and it would provide, you know, computing capabilities and so forth. And we specifically look for computing that would self-monetize like cryptocurrencies and mining. And then when the grid arrived, we can inject the combined project back to the grid and that's exactly how it played out. We, we started uh, essentially designing that whole uh, process. And I didn't know this, but it takes a long time to build a renewable energy project. It takes years. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it took a lot less time for you to build that turbine on the roof there. <laughs> but in the real world, these projects take a long time, financing, all the, all the regulations, et cetera. So while we were doing that and designing this integrated facility, the grid actually made it to the way there and what we realized was, um, oh, so the design of this is going to be a little different because we're going to be selling power into the grid. So then the computing is actually going to become more of a integrated demand response solution, right? Where we'll absorb some of that excess energy and convert that into computing, which allows us to deliver smooth green energy to the grid, right? Almost like a, think of it of like a coal plant base load, but you know, coming from a green farm. And we were actually talking to the largest uh, renewable energy agency there that was working with us on that. And what was exciting to us was the potential of this for other existing plants out there. We wondered to ourselves, wonder who else has this, this issue? And COVID hits. Um, and so we can't travel as much to Morocco to work on the project. And we realized, hey, we should go look at this problem elsewhere. So we spent a lot of time talking to grid operators, schedulers, power plant companies, et cetera. It be became clear to us that this is a huge problem. 
occurs all over the world. And bringing flexible load like com computing can be to the power plant is a fantastic and clever solution to the problem. Uh, at least that's what we were told. And so we spent the next year building that, that business. And um, we met with power plants in the US and basically devised this solution that has three, three stages. The first stage is we, we spend time with the power plant owner. We assess how much of their, their energy is being wasted, curtailed, why, the pricing, et cetera. And then we develop a solution design. So we say, if we build a data center of this size, it'll absorb this much of your facility. And then as we build a bigger data, data center facility, it absorbs more of it. And then eventually we build and operate that facility. So what our company does is we build these um, purpose-built data centers. Don't think of a large monolithic building. They're actually smaller buildings that each consume about 1.2 megawatts of, of energy. And then we string them together kind of like Lego blocks to create a very large facility. And it's computer controlled and um, uh, has this whole very unique thermal design. And that allows us to absorb that wasted energy and basically unlock uh, lost revenue for the power project, uh, unlock uh, production tax credits to the extent that they have them, RECs, et cetera. And it forms a new symbiotic relationship between us and the power plant. And then we convert that wasted energy into a host of different computing applications. Um, our first is focused on crypto mining because it has high energy density needs sustainability in its, in its, uh, in its narrative, if you will, and, um, is growing very fast, but there's a whole other market, uh, AI machine learning, uh, scientific computing, uh, video transcoding, there's a whole series of applications that are flexible or batchable. We like to call it such that we can use those as well. So the goal of our company is to build lots of these facilities around the world string them together into a massive uh, cloud, if you will, green cloud servicing specifically these types of applications. And that's our, that's the journey that uh, we took to get here. And that's what we're focused on now. That is really interesting. And I know one issue a lot of my um, friends and colleagues talk about with cryptocurrency is how do you get all the energy? Where does it come from? What's generating um, its source? But here, right. clean energy is is main source of it, and its main reason why it's operating sounds sustainable to me, at least environmentally. That's right. Yeah, you, you have a, a number of actors out there who claim to be green. They are doing some some uh, architect architecting of of you know through credits and so forth to get themselves green. But the power source, the core power source, is not green electrons. We're the reverse of that. We use the the characteristics of Bitcoin computing, for example, that is very energy intensive. And by the way, that energy intensiveness is a purposeful thing. It's designed into the protocol to provide security to the protocol. And um, that security need increases as the value increases, et cetera. So it creates this economic driver for security to get added to the network. So what we do is we take that flexible and it's also flexible computing so you can turn it on and off actually it's quite resilient in that way so we take those characteristics and we basically use it to solve a problem 
that catalyzes more renewable energy development. And that's kind of the, the whole focus of our company. I know lots of people say, you know, but you guys are one of these crypto miners. And actually, actually, we're not. We're a renewable energy technology company, and we're using this type of solution to solve a bigger problem for renewables and for the grid. And uh, I think to some extent, the industry is sort of you know, swept into our narrative and saying, that's what, they're, that's what we're doing too. <laughs> and that's where we're going. Um, but what most people don't know is we started in the industry and we, we're, we're essentially coming back to solve it. And you're going to see changes over time where, you know, we look to do other types of computing. And that's something we're, at, we're actively working on as well that will eventually differentiate our, our company in the space. That's wonderful. So taking a step back, how would you, how do you define unused or excess energy? Good question. So um, depending on the source of the energy, it's different. So in hydro, it's, uh, it's, it's basically during your wet seasons where you have basically overabundance of, of hydroelectric production. And so you need some way to offtake that essentially. And in the, in the solar space, what you essentially have is issues where you have lots of sun uh, during the day, but everybody's at work. <clears throat> and so no one's around to use it. And so there's lots of energy production that takes place and there's no place for it to go. Uh, in the wind space, it's very similar. Uh, you may have w heavy winds at night, like in Oklahoma, for example, that's blowing, uh, but everyone's asleep. And so that's, one track, if you will, that causes those issues is just sort of a mismatch between power production and demand. Uh, the other reason it typically occurs is because you have overproduction. So you're having a grid that's going through a transition where it's replacing uh, legacy fuels with new sustainable uh, production, energy production facilities. And the developers that build these facilities will tend to gravitate to the best locations for the production of those projects, right? And this has gotten worse actually in the past uh, couple of years with uh, the pandemic and sort of our awakening to the need to become more sustainable in our energy use. There's been a massive increase in the amount of um, investment in the area. So there are people who are basically out there hunting for projects and doing development. And, you know, I call it the McDonald's and Burger King problem. They're, they're, you know, they you know, those, those two companies are real estate companies and are optimizing for location, 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 all the way to the point where effectively their optimization equations put them across the street, across the street from each other. <laughs> it's the same thing here. You get large solar plants and wind projects being built in more or less the same areas of the country. And that over-concentration, over-development compresses prices because you have lots of production of power, especially in these uh, market-driven uh, spaces or energy markets where there's more power than there is need. And so these projects will begin to bid in and keep lowering their price until they get to those, those really important tax credits. And so you can get really huge price swings that go really negative. And when power is negative, it's a signal from the network to not send your energy to the network. 
And some projects can afford to keep doing that because they, they, they trade it off for the revenue they make for tax. But once it hits below that, they have to shut off. And that's the other source for wasted energy where it's ener energy that cannot be monetized. So understanding unused and excess energy, do you mm -hmm. see energy storage being a big competitor or a competitor to Saluna? Good question. The, the view that we have, and I get asked that very often, is that the grid will, the, 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 the modern grid will be a combination of hopefully majority renewable energy resources, if not 100% renewables. It will have new pipes, new transmission networks that allow that renewable energy to get to um, more places. It will have batteries to help balance, you know, the, the demand and production curve. And it will have flexible load or grid scale demand response solutions that allow it to also provide more flexibility. So if I need more energy today than I did yesterday, you want to be able to shrink the demand for that power um, from certain participants on the network to get it to other places. Like, you know, maybe during COVID, you want to get it more to hospitals or to other places like that. So, um, so we think that uh, what we're doing is adding a new tool to the current tool of solutions to solve the grid's issues. Batteries are one of them. Unfortunately, they're not as scalable right now. There's all sorts of you know utility scale challenges and capital costs associated with that. We believe over time, through rights law, as we build more batteries, it'll it'll get cheaper over time. Uh, transmission is another solution as well. Uh, harder to build takes a lot of time. If you think building power plants take time, <laughs> I'm at try to build a, a power line in the United States it takes years and years, and there have been projects going for over a decade and haven't been built yet. And so the challenge with those two tools today is they're, they're not ready at the scale that they need to be to solve the problems that we have today. Computing, computing on the other hand, computing is, is ready now. Um, our demand for computing processes and more importantly, computing processes that are data focused because we produce so much data now because we have so many electronics as IoT devices and so forth. Everything is a smart device. I mean, if you, if you walk through my house, like everything we buy now has an app attached to it. I have a, a, another app. <laughs> I mean, we bought an air filter the other day and it's like, there's an app attached to this thing. Why I need that, I don't understand, but it's smart and it's all connected to Wi-Fi. So there's a tremendous amount of data being collected and that data doesn't just sit and, and, you know, rot, right? It actually is a revenue generating capability now. So just about every company is doing a huge data and analytics project and so forth. And so that demand is only increasing for that computing power. So what we asked ourselves is, what if you could take that demand, which is ever increasing, causing the development of very large monolithic facilities to be built that actually to some extent, subsidizes the, the, you know, the fossil fuels because they need base load um, and flipped the switch on that and basically said, what if we built a data center that was specifically designed to work in an intermittent environment, be connected to renewables, and actually integrate with the renewable resource as a grid infrastructure? 
So what we're saying is, what if we thought about computing being a form of grid infrastructure? And so we started designing a data center from scratch that is um, tuned, it's more flexible, it's more scalable, um, it's, it can live in sort of remote areas targeting these types of applications. And we think that introduces a new tool that can be used now to help the grid with its flexibility. That's our, that's our vision as a company. And that is amazing. Um, I was doing a bit of research and I've heard that your data centers are all named after a woman. Would you like to talk a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so they're not just women, they're actually uh, women scientists. So we, 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 we look for uh, women uh, who were real catalyzers. We actually call them badass catalyzers because they had to. You got to be. You got to be more than just a catalyzer. Um, and so we have a data center uh, named after Sophie Wilson, for example, who invented the ARM processor and really focused on the optimization of the design of that chip. Uh, or Dorothy Vaughn, who was one of the uh, hidden figures who helped to work on the moon launching. And she was incredibly uh, focused on uh, teaching and being an altruist and being super, um, you know, forward thinking. Uh, you know, we've got uh, uh, Mary Curry, who was the, uh, actually, I think they're making a movie about her who discovered, or they have made a movie about her who uh, she discovered um, radioactivity and sort of her whole story and how she did that and so forth. Uh, we're inspired by them uh, because number one, there just aren't as many women in lots of different industries, especially technology in the renewable energy space, et cetera. And two, uh, each project has its own uh, challenges, opportunities, the way it has to be architected. It sort of creates a, a unique personality and we try to choose the scientist to sort of match the personality of that data center. And, uh, and that creates a story. It creates a way for us to create a sense of space for the people that are going to be working in the facility. And it, um, it imbues a bit of uh, forward thinking and innovation when we have folks there. And so that's why we do that. All of our facilities are, are named after a, a badass catalyzer. That's wonderful. <clears throat> Love the initiative. And when we come back, we'll hear more from John. Okay, cool. And we're back with John. So John, would you like to tell me and the audience a bit about how you got onto the entrepreneur track? Uh, yes, I'd love to. So um, the first time I had the idea to start a company, believe it or not, was in high school. I wouldn't call, call it a company per se, but a, but a an entrepreneurial idea. Uh, in high school, uh, the high school I went to had, uh, it was a trade school prior to joining the New York City public school system. And at the time, what a trade school was, there's still a few of those out here, these Bozies up in upstate. And the whole concept is you go there and learn a very specific skill. So you learn how to be an, uh, an optometrist or you learn how to, uh, you learn automotive. And the school that I went to also had an information technology uh, program. So you had to take this, this aptitude test to get in and so forth. And um, 
at the time we were still working on machines that had a basically a mini computer in a, in a, in a room. And then you had like these terminals and you would write stuff and it would print it on a card and then it would feed it to the computer and do, you know, but to save your program, you had to put it on a big floppy disk that went into this machine. So I'm dating myself. You were like, what, what is a floppy disk? What is a payphone? What is the camera? <laughs> so my dad, that's what my daughter say. What is a camera, dad? Um, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> so uh, the first disc you got for free, but then you had to bring your own once it was full. And so I had this idea, what if I sold those discs? And so I figured out, I don't know how, I don't remember how I did this, but I found a, uh, the, the distributor that sold the floppy disc and they sold uh, different colors, red, yellow, green, blue. And so um, uh, in the, uh, my background is, is from Haiti. So in Haitian culture and some of Caribbean culture, there's this concept called SUSU, which is basically a uh, crowdsourced savings program. So think of it like a community-based program. Everybody gets together, 20 people get together and everybody puts in 20 bucks a week. And then there's a list and the, the pool of, you know, for discussion purposes, if it's like 10 people, it's 200 bucks. So the first person gets the 200 bucks and then it keeps going down the line. And then, you know, and you keep contributing and then everybody gets to save a certain amount of money. So I entered one of those with my brother. I had like this, you know, uh, weekend job and we saved up. And then I basically says, what do you want to do with the money? I says, well, I want to start this business. So I started this, uh, this disc sales business in, in high school <laughs> and, uh, that sparked it. The, I think the real reason I was interested in entrepreneurship was I saw all of these large computing companies, IBM, Tandy, Radio Shack, a lot of the companies at the time. And I started studying them and I was just fascinated by this concept of going from zero to this idea to creating a company that does this and like millions of people are using it and so forth. And I just wanted to, I always imagined myself building a company like that. And so, uh, so slowly, but surely I started doing these little enterprises. Um, another one was a typing service for my high school teacher. And then when I went to university, I basically found two kindred spirits <laughs> who had equal drive to be entrepreneurs. And, um, and then in, in, uh, grad school, we found, uh, two other people and, we were just like driven to go form a company. We eventually started to write a business plan and, and form the company before we graduated. But then two, two of us had uh, uh, H-1B visas and had to get a job. <laughs> uh, to, to make a long story short, we ended up not forming the company. But then three years later, after spending every Saturday talking about what was happening in the industry, now I was sort of injected into, you know, as how technology was evolving. So I can sort of see different directions. They had gone to an entrepreneurship, uh, a, a, a young company in Boston. So then we got back together and, and tried it out. <laughs> and uh, I basically never looked back. You know, I think it's, it's, it's really what I'm passionate about at this point. You know, I like to say I, I might not be employable anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I just like building things, you know. That's wonderful. So after graduating from university, you got to spend work in entry. Do you feel working entry before starting up on your own was beneficial? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it. Look, I know there's, there's lots of great stories of people who dropped out of, out of school and created, you know, multi-billion dollar global companies. Those are few and far between, to be honest. Uh, most people start professional careers and even though they have, you know, that, that sort of entrepreneurial drive or passion, their experiences that they learn as they go through, you know, their professional careers is really what ultimately gets them to the point where they can be an entrepreneur. They understand the mechanics of, of running a company, uh, concepts around management, uh, problem solving, communication, you know, inter, inter, interfacing with people. Because uh, companies are not just, you know, ideas and then poof, you know, <laughs> you've got a successful business. You actually have to create an environment for that idea to become, you know, a living and breathing thing. And you just don't wake up every day knowing how to do that. You, you learn that through mentorship and seeing other people do it. And so I always encourage people to go work for a young company where they're already in the process of doing it. There's so much you can learn there because first of all, you're going to get, you're going to get the opportunity to do lots of different things, uh, grow with that company. If, it, if, if it's a, if it's a company that's scaling really fast, there's a lot you can learn in that process, um, or go work for a large enterprise, uh, and see what a company looks like when it's really, really big and all the challenges and things that <laughs> you never want to create in your own company. <laughs> uh, but getting exposure to that is going to be really helpful, uh, for you going forward. So I highly recommend that the other thing is most companies um, and actually the most successful are created because the founder had a problem that they're experiencing themselves and they can't find a solution for it or they were at a larger enterprise and they saw a problem that their customers kept having but that company didn't have the interest or the resources or focus to go after that opportunity but they felt that you know they had the ability to go create a company and solve that problem so that's also where you, you find ideas. And so that's why I highly recommend um, starting your career. And I think that was very helpful to us too. I, I think starting our business right after university might've been successful, but it, it was more likely to be successful after we've, we, we all went out and worked for a couple of years first. And I can agree more being able to find the right coaches, mentors to surround yourself with for a period of time helps yeah. you grow so much more because you can learn lessons from them. Yeah. So prior to starting up and even when you were starting up, what are some of the main lessons and the big takeaways you had from others that helped you in the beginning? Oh, yeah. Um, so we, I, I had a number of mentors. Uh, I'd say my, my best indirect mentor was actually uh, Andy Grove, the CEO of Intel. He was an amazing leader incredibly bright, uh, an engineer by training. Um, and he built and led that company through some of its biggest challenges. And um, there are some, you know, phrases I, I, I can share here that I've gotten from mentors over the years that have been incredibly uh, beneficial to me as I've created businesses. Um, the first is uh, you're either... <laughs> You're either lunch or you're eating lunch. That's one of my favorites. Um, and that is basically around the concept uh, that Andy Grove liked to call paranoia. You know, good paranoia is 
thinking about all the ways in which a competitor can destroy your business. And then you do it first <laughs> and then, you know, evolve beyond, uh, where you are. Um, another good phrase is the concept that, um, you know, leadership isn't really about the leader at all, actually. Um, so as you become a founder of a company or a important leader in the company, where your focus should lie is counterintuitive. It's not about your own growth and development. It's actually focusing on the growth and development of the other people on your team and around you, back to my point about the importance of coaching. And it takes a bit to learn that because when you're a young leader, you're so focused on whether you're good enough and some people enter all sorts of um, challenging psychological <laughs> issues, uh, you know, um, and that I think is because we focus too much on ourselves rather than others. Um, hope is not a strategy. It's another one I like. And, you know, I've heard presentations from entrepreneurs like, well, I think if we do this, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, you know, get past this point. It's like, hopefully. <laughs> Don't think hope's really going to be the answer. Uh, so having a, a strategy that you lay out consciously and purposefully is really important, even though it's going to change when you hit the battlefield, if you will. Um, you know, the best laid plans are, are not uh, ultimately the plans you implement because the, the world moves around you. But having one is really helpful for you to know when there's been a change, you know, but otherwise you're just thrash around and so forth uh, a lot. But, uh, but I have many, many more and uh, they've helped me to, you know, grow as a leader and um, be conscious about, you know, the development of companies that I've been involved in. Incredible. Um, so when you talk about developing others around you, mm -hmm. what are some key focuses you have on that and that you've learned in your, um, in your life? Yeah. When I focus on others, um, you know, members of my team, uh, number one, what I try to do is look at them as the CEO of their domain. So they're like the head of their groups. So people who report to me will find that I tend to sort of not be a micromanager. I try to sort of let them lead and, 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 uh, leading them really is, you know, helping them see where their, their shortcomings are and helping them grow into that, uh, lead them into understanding how best to, um, approach different problems, leading them into understanding how to lead other people, um, that leading process is a multifaceted process. And uh, the other thing I do is I focus on their passions. So I want to make sure there's lots of alignment between what they're really passionate about doing, what they really want to do, they feel they're capable at doing, and making sure they're, they're in that flow, but also a little bit uncomfortable. So they, they you will usually get a little bit more from me than they're used to getting so that they can, there can be some growth, right? They're like, I don't know how to do this. Or can you come with me to this meeting? Like, you don't really need me, you know, um, or I'll come with you to the first one, but then, you know, the rest, I won't be there. Um, and then I think the other uh, piece is really uh, collaborating with them. So sometimes I'll participate as a individual contributor on their team, 
mostly to help them to solve problems and make better decisions and help them to uh, grow frameworks that they can use to, to do that. And then over time, they start to see the problems differently and, and address them themselves. So um, self-directed, you know, learning, coaching, and, 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 and leadership, essentially. Awesome. So thinking back to um, finding good mentors, coaches around you, and then ensuring that you have a good environment. Do you have any mm -hmm. advice for young entrepreneurs and anyone coming out of university now or early in their um, professional career looking to go into entrepreneurship and taking um, starting new businesses? Yeah. Well, I, the one thing I would say is if you have a drive and you want to start a new business, you should definitely do it. Doesn't matter what the outcome is, even if it fails. Actually, if it fails, it's even better <laughs> because that means your next one's going to be successful. That failure is such a powerful piece of information um, that helps you to grow. And so look to those failures as just, you know, stepping stones that you're sort of making your way to an ultimate success, whatever that success means to you. But it's so important to um, go through that really challenging experience. So first piece of advice is if you want to, if you feel like you want to do it and you feel like it's something that you want to experience, you should definitely do it. The second is once you are doing it, uh, a couple of pieces of, of advice, uh, focus, 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 focus is the number one killer <laughs> in entrepreneurial experiences. We tend to get excited by shiny objects a lot. And most of the time they don't pan out. They just, just distract you from the real problems of the business, or they distract you from finding the real solutions or opportunities for the business to be successful. You know, and most of the time when you're doing an entrepreneurial activity, you are fundamentally trying to convince people to do something different, right? And hopefully you're, you're trying to convince people to, um, to look at a problem or a tech, a piece of technology completely differently. Take Saluna, for example, you know, I like to say that, you know, we're trying to get people to see computing, not just as a thing that walks around in our pocket, but it's actually part of the grid infrastructure, which is a completely um, strange thing for people to think about because they think batteries, transmission lines, <laughs> transformers, you know, power generation facilities as grid infrastructure. But what if the computing facilities that actually powered the things in our pockets with part of grid infrastructure? Getting that, to, that picture to shift in people's mind is a process of uh, missionary education, uh, storytelling, and, uh, you know, example setting to some extent. And that takes time to learn how to do that really well. And so entrepreneurship is really all about that. Uh, most people don't realize it's about creating the right story to attract people to the company, to attract investors, to um, help customers or potential uh, partners visualize the way your solution will change their world and why it's important for that change to happen now. And it's so important to think through and answer those questions as you're building a company. 
and um, ultimately drives a lot of your success if you can successfully do that. <laughs> and so um, helping people to, to, you know, reshape the way they, they think is, is, uh, is part of the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, and then the other is, is how important it is to understand as the leader of a new venture that um, companies are not spreadsheets. You know, I always like to say people are sort of like, if we do this and you know, they're, they're moving the cells, we're good. We'll be in great shape. And I says, that's great. Uh, thanks for sharing that. That's the spreadsheet though. That's not the real world. At some point, we're going to see something different. Let's see what the real world brings us. But at the end of the day, it's really about people actually it's living, breathing, you know, species walking around your physical or virtual offices with a mission in mind. And they've got to keep motivated. They've got to keep focused. They've got to get clarity. They've got to have the tools and resources to solve hard problems. They've got to have a, a, a real sense that they're part of something important and really care about the people that they're working with. Um, and then ultimately they got to feel like they're growing, you know? And so those skill sets take time to develop. And so my advice for young entrepreneurs is don't feel like you're supposed to wake up in the morning and figure out how to do that. Seek out mentors to help you. And I think that's the last piece of advice, which is when you're a leader, make sure you're hanging out with other leaders and other mentors so you can learn a lot from them. Um, one of my favorite statements is, uh, I like to say that it's okay to make mistakes as long as they're original. So save yourself some time by, you know, going to people who already, who already made those mistakes and they can help you avoid them. Awesome. I couldn't agree more. And those are big lessons that I know I'm going to take away personally. So John, as we come up towards the end of our episode, is there anything else you, you would like to talk about or share with myself in the audience? Yeah, I would say that uh, since I assume a lot of your listeners are students, uh, engineers, folks uh, who are really excited about the green transition, uh, look us up. Uh, we've got lots of amazing things we are doing, many, many things ahead of us to do, and we'd love to get more passionate, uh, brilliant minds to join our team. And uh, we want folks from all backgrounds. There's nothing, you know, that is better than a diverse organization that is solving a big problem together. Uh, so look us up, go to salunacomputing.com. We've got some roles open. We've got some internships that we're, we're opening up for the summer. Uh, read our content. If you have questions, reach out, you know, um, join our community because there's so much that we can do to help renewable energy become a superpower and uh, you all can, can help us and, and join our cause. Awesome. And if anyone would like to learn more about John or Saluna, um, you can look into the description and find a link search, take you directly to their website and more. John, thank you again for your time coming onto our show today and sharing lessons learned and your own story with us. Nelson, it was an uh, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time and great questions. Appreciate uh, you and the Green Roof team. Thank you. And with that, we conclude another episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Roof team. Special thanks to everyone supporting us, all of our sponsors, stakeholders, and 
Remember everyone, stay sustainable.